efforts, the child died. Later, the same parents brought another daughter to me, then just 16 months old, also born with a malformed heart. Again, at their request, I performed an operation. This child also died. This third heartbreaking loss in one family literally undid me. I went home grief-stricken. I threw myself upon our living room floor and cried all night long. Dancil stayed by my side, listening as I repeatedly declared that I would never perform another heart operation. Then, around five o'clock in the morning, Dancil looked at me and lovingly asked, Are you finished crying? (laughs) Then get dressed. Go back to the lab. Go to work. You need to learn more. If you quit now, others will have to painfully learn what you already know. Oh, how I needed my wife's vision, grit, and love. I went back to work, learned more. If it weren't for Dancil's inspired prodding, I would not have pursued open-heart surgery and would not have been prepared to do the operation in 1972 that saved the life of President Spencer W. Kimball. Sisters, do you realize the breadth and scope of your influence when you speak those things that come to your heart and mind as directed by the Spirit? A, a superb state president told me of a state council meeting in which they were wrestling with a difficult challenge. At one point, he realized that the state primary president had not spoken. So he asked if she had any impressions. Well, actually, I have, she said, and then proceeded to share a thought that changed the entire direction of the meeting. The stake president continued. As she spoke, the Spirit testified to me that she had given voice to the revelation we had been seeking as a council. My dear sisters, whatever your calling, whatever your circumstances, we need your impressions your insights, and your inspiration. We need you to speak up and speak out in ward and state councils. We need each married sister to speak as a contributing and full partner as you unite with your husband in governing your family. Married or single, you sisters possess distinctive capabilities and special intuition you have received as gifts from God. We, brethren, cannot duplicate your unique influence. We know that the culminating act of all creation was the creation of woman. We need your strength. Attacks against the Church, its doctrine, and our way of life are going to increase. Because of this, we need women who have a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ 
and he will use that understanding to teach and help raise a sin-resistant generation. We need women who can detect deception in all of its forms. We need women who know how to access the power that God makes available to covenant keepers and who express their beliefs with confidence and charity. We need women who have the courage and vision of our Mother Eve. My dear sisters, nothing is more crucial to your eternal life than your own conversion. It is converted, covenant-keeping women, and I include my dear wife, Wendy, whose righteous lives will increasingly stand out in a deteriorating world and who will thus be seen as different and distinct in the happiest of ways. So today, I plead with my sisters of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to step forward, take your rightful and needful place in your home, in your community, and in the kingdom of God more than you ever have before. I plead with you to fulfill President Kimball's prophecy, and I promise you, in the name of Jesus Christ, that as you do so, the Holy Ghost will magnify your influence in an unprecedented way. I bear witness of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his redeeming, atoning, and sanctifying power. And as one of his apostles, I thank you, my dear sisters, and bless you to rise to your full stature to fulfill the measure of your creation as we walk arm in arm in this sacred work. Together, we will help prepare the world for the second coming of the Lord. Of this I testify as your brother. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This past summer, my wife and I had two of our young grandsons staying with us while their parents participated in a pioneer trek activity in their stake. Our daughter wanted to be sure that the boys practiced the piano while away from home. She knew that a few days with the grandparents makes it a little easier to forget about practicing. One afternoon, I decided to sit with my 13-year-old grandson, Andrew, and listen to him play. This boy is full of energy and loves the out-of-doors. He could easily spend all of his time hunting and fishing. While practicing the piano, I could tell that he would rather be fishing on a nearby river. I listened as he pounded out each chord of a familiar song. Every note he played had the same emphasis and meter, making it difficult to clearly identify the melody. I sat beside him on the bench and explained the importance of playing just a little more pressure on the melody keys and a little less on those notes that accompany the melody. We talked about the piano being more than just a mechanical miracle. It can be an extension of his own voice and feelings and become a wonderful instrument of communication. Just as a person talks and moves smoothly from one word to another, so the melody should flow as we move from one note to another.
We laughed together as he tried again and again. His dimple-cheeked smile increased as the familiar melody began to emerge from what was previously a wild set of sounds. The message became clear. I am a child of God, and he has sent me here. I asked Andrew if he could feel the difference in the message. He responded, Yes, Grandpa, I can feel it. The Apostle Paul teaches us about comparing communication to musical instruments when he wrote to the Corinthians, And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction of the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? If ever there was a time when the world needs disciples of Christ who can communicate the message of the gospel with clarity and from the heart, it is now. We need the clarion call of the trumpet. Christ was certainly our best example. He always demonstrated courage to stand up for what was right. His words echo through the centuries as he invites us to remember to love God and our fellow man, to keep all of God's commandments, and to live as lights to the world. He was not afraid to speak against the earthly powers or rulers of his day, even when such were opposing his mission and given to him by his Heavenly Father. His words were not designed to confuse but to move the hearts of men. He clearly knew his Father's will in all he said and did. I also love the example of Peter, who confronted the men of the world with courage and clarity on the day of Pentecost. On that day were assembled many from many countries criticizing the early saints because they heard them speak in tongues and thought they were drunken. Peter, having the Spirit rise in his soul, stood up to defend the Church and the members. He testified with these words, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. He then quoted from the scriptures containing the prophecies of Christ and bore this straightforward testimony. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Many heard his words, felt the Spirit, and 3,000 souls joined the ranks of the early Church. This is powerful evidence that one man or woman who is willing to testify when the world seems to be going in the opposite direction can make a difference. When we as members make the decision to stand up and powerfully witness for God's doctrine and His Church, something changes within us. We take His countenance upon us. We become closer to His Spirit. He, in turn, will go before us and be on our right hand and our left, and His Spirit shall be in our hearts and His angels round about us to bear us up. True disciples of Christ are not looking to make excuses for the doctrine when it doesn't fit the world's current concepts. 
Paul was another valiant disciple, boldly proclaiming that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. True disciples represent the Lord when it may not be convenient to do so. True disciples desire to inspire the hearts of men, not just impress them. Often, it's not convenient or comfortable to stand up for Christ. I'm sure that was the case with Paul when he was called before King Agrippa and was asked to justify himself and to tell his story. Paul, without hesitating, proclaimed his belief with such power that this intimidating king admitted he was almost persuaded to be a Christian. Paul's response witnessed of his desire for the people to understand absolutely what he had to say. He told King Agrippa that it was his desire that all who heard him would not almost be Christians, rather would altogether become disciples of Christ. Those who speak with clarity can bring this to pass. Over the many years that I have studied the story of Lehi's dream in the Book of Mormon, I have always thought of the great and spacious building as a place where only the most rebellious reside. The building was filled with people mocking and pointing at the faithful who were holding on to the iron rod, representing the word of God, and were making their way to the tree of life, representing the love of God. Some could not bear up under the pressure of the people mocking them and wandered off. Others decided to join them in the building. Did they not have the courage to speak boldly against the criticisms or the messages of the world? As I watch the current world moving away from God, I think this building is growing in size. Many find themselves today wandering the halls of the great and spacious building, not realizing that they are actually becoming part of its culture. They often succumb to the temptations and the messages. They eventually, we eventually find them mocking or chiming in with those who criticize or mock. For years, I thought the mocking crowd was making fun of the way the faithful lived their lives. But the voices from the building today have changed in their tone and approach. Those who mock often try to drown out the simple message of the gospel by attacking some aspect of the Church's history or offering pointed criticism of a prophet or other leader. They are also attacking the very heart of our doctrine and the laws of God given since the creation of the earth. We as disciples of Jesus Christ and members of His Church must never let go of that iron rod. We must let the clarion trumpet sound from our own souls. The simple message is that God is our loving Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ is His Son. The gospel is restored in these latter days through living prophets, and the evidence is the Book of Mormon. The path of happiness is through the basic family unit as originally organized and revealed by our Heavenly Father. This is the familiar melody of the message that many can recognize because they have heard it from their pre-mortal life. As Latter-day Saints, it is time for us to stand up and testify. 
It is time for the notes of the melody of the gospel to rise above the noise of the world. I add my testimony to the message of the Savior and Redeemer of this world. He lives. His gospel is restored, and the blessings of happiness and peace can be secured in this life by living His commandments and walking in His path. This is my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love the primary song that says, Tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear, things I would ask him to tell me if he were here. Scenes by the wayside, tales of the sea, stories of Jesus, tell them to me. I believe that starting a tradition of telling the stories of Jesus to our children and families is a very special way to keep the Sabbath day holy in our homes. This will surely bring a special spirit to our home and provide our family with examples from the Savior himself. I love to study and ponder the life of him who gave everything for me and for all of us. I love to read the scriptural passages about his sinless life. And after reading the scriptures which tell about the events experienced by him, I close my eyes and try to visualize these sacred moments that teach me and strengthen me spiritually. Moments such as when he spat on the ground and having made in clay of the spittle, anointed the eyes of the blind man and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, and the man obeyed, and washed, and came seen. When he healed the woman who had an issue of blood and touched the border of his garment, believing that just by touching him she would be healed. When he appeared to his disciples walking upon the sea, when he went with his, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and opened their understanding to the scriptures, when he appeared, to the people here in the Americas, and told them to come unto him and trust their hands into his side, and feel the prints of the nails in his hands and his feet, so they could know that he was the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth, and had been slain for the sins of the world. I rejoice in knowing there are parents who tell stories of Christ to their children. I notice this as I watch children in the church, in primary programs, and other occasions. I am grateful to my parents for having taught me about Christ. I continue to see how the Savior's example helps my dear wife and me as we teach our own children. My heart is filled with joy when I see my children tell stories of Christ to my grandchildren. It reminds me of one of my favorite scriptures found in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, which reads, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, and why not our grandchildren as well? I am grateful for our leaders who are constantly teaching us about Christ, about keeping the Sabbath day holy, and about partaking of the sacrament each Sunday in honor of the Savior. 
the Sabbath and the sacrament become much more enjoyable as we study the stories of Christ. In so doing, we created traditions that build our faith and testimony and also protect our family. A few weeks ago, while I was studying again the message President Russell M. Nelson delivered in the last General Conference, and while pondering on the Sabbath day, I felt a deep gratitude for the blessing and privilege of being able to partake of the sacrament. For me, that is a very solemn, sacred, and spiritual moment. I greatly enjoy sacrament meeting. While pondering, I carefully studied the blessing on the bread and the water. I read and de- I read and deeply meditated on the prayers and the ordinance of the sacrament. I began to go over in my mind and in my heart the events that are connected to it. In a spirit of meditation, I reflected upon that day, the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, when he, in response to his disciples' question about where to prepare for the Passover, answered unto them, saying, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand. I you keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. I tried to visualize in my mind the disciples buying food and carefully preparing the table to eat with him on that special day, a table for 13 people, he and his 12 disciples whom he loved. I cried as I visualized Christ eating with them when he declared, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. I thought about the saddened disciples asking him, Lord, is it I? And when Judas asked him the same question, he replied calmly, Thou hast said. I could visualize hands that had healed, comforted, edified, and blessed, breaking the bread, as Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup filled with wine and gave it thanks, and gave the cup to them, saying, Drink ye of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In my mind, I looked at the disciples, one by one, and saw in their eyes their concern for the Master whom they loved greatly. It was as if I was sitting there with them, watching everything. I felt an intense pain in my heart, full of grief and sorrow for what he was about to experience for me. My soul was filled by an overwhelming desire to be a better person. In repentance and sorrow, I fervently wished to be able to dry and avoid the spilling of at least a few drops of his blood shed in Gethsemane. I then pondered about the sacrament we partake every week in remembrance of him. While doing so, I meditated upon each word of the blessing on the bread and the water. I deeply reflected about the words, and always remember him, and the blessing on the bread, and that they do always remember him, and the blessing on the water. I meditated on what it means to always remember him. To me, it means to remember his primordial life when this beautiful planet was made by him. 
to remember his humble birth on a manger in Bethlehem of Judea. And when, even as a 12-year-old boy, he talked and preached to the doctors in the temple, to remember when he went aside privately into a desert to prepare for his mortal ministry, and when he was transfigured before his disciples, to remember when he instituted the sacrament in the Last Supper with them, and went to the Garden of Gethsemane and suffered so intensely for our sins, pains, disappointments, illness, that he bled for every poor. To remember when after so much suffering and severe pain, even yet in Gethsemane, he was betrayed with a kiss by one of the disciples whom he called a friend. And when he was taken to Pilate and to Herod for trial, and when he was humiliated, buffeted, spat upon, smote, and scourged with a whip that tore his flesh, and when a crown of thorns was brutally put upon his head, to remember that he had to carry his own cross to Golgotha, and that he was nailed to the cross there, suffering every physical and spiritual pain, and when at the cross with his bowels full of charity, he looked at those who crucified him, and raised his eyes to heaven, pleading, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To remember, when he, knowing he had fulfilled his mission of saving all mankind, gave up his spirit into the hands of his Father, our Father. To remember his resurrection, which ensures our own resurrection and the possibility to live besides him for all eternity depending on our choices. Furthermore, meditating on the sacrament prayer and the very special and meaningful words of the prayer, how wonderful it is to receive the promise during the blessing of the sacrament that as we always remember him, we will always have his spirit with us. I believe that the Lord has his own timing as to end to give a revelation unto us. I understood this very clearly while you are studying Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 6, which reads, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. The sacrament is also a time for Heavenly Father to teach us about the atonement of His beloved Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and for us to receive a revelation about it. It is a time to knock, and it shall be opened unto you to request and to receive this knowledge. It is time for us to reverently ask God for this knowledge, and if we do, I have no doubt that we will receive this knowledge, which will bless our lives beyond measure. I love the Sabbath, the sacrament, and what it means. I love the Savior with all my soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
We are grateful to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and their conductors and organists for the beautiful music they have provided this morning and always do. Our concluding speaker for this session will be President Henry B. Eyring, First Counselor in the First Presidency. Following President Eyring's remarks, the choir will close this meeting by singing The Spirit of God. The benediction will then be offered by Sister Cheryl A. Asplin, First Counselor in the Primary Presidency. My dear brothers and sisters, I am grateful to have been with you on this Sabbath day in the General Conference of the Lord's Church. I have felt, as you have, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, testifying to the words of truth we have heard, spoken, and sung. My purpose today is to increase your desire and your determination to claim the gift promised to each of us after we were baptized. During our confirmation, we heard these words, Receive the Holy Ghost. From that moment, our lives changed forever. We can, if we live worthy of it, have the blessing of the Spirit to be with us, not only now and then, as in such remarkable experiences as we've had today, but always. You know from the words of the sacrament prayer how that promise is fulfilled. O God, the Eternal Father, we ask Thee, in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of Thy Son. And witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son, and always remember him and keep his commandments, which he has given them. And then comes the glorious promise that they may always have his Spirit to be with them. To always have the Spirit with us is to have the guidance and direction of the Holy Ghost in our daily lives. We can, for instance, be warned by the Spirit to resist the temptation to do evil. For that reason alone, it is easy to see why the Lord's servants have tried to increase our desire to worship God in our sacrament meetings. If we partake of the sacrament in faith, the Holy Ghost will then be able to protect us and those we love from the temptations that come with increasing intensity and frequency. The companionship of the Holy Ghost makes what is good more attractive and temptation less compelling. That alone should be enough to make us determined to qualify for the Spirit to be with us always. Just as the Spirit strengthens us against evil, it also gives us the power to discern truth from falsehood. The truth that matters most is verified only by revelation from God. Our human reason 
and the use of our physical senses will not be enough. We live in a time when even the wisest will be hard-pressed to distinguish truth from clever deception. The Lord taught His Apostle Thomas, who wanted physical evidence of the Savior's resurrection by touching His wounds. He taught that revelation is safer. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The truths that mark the way home to God are verified by the Holy Ghost. We cannot go to the grove and see the Father and the Son speak to the young Joseph Smith. No physical evidence nor any logical argument can establish that Elijah came, as promised, to confer the priesthood keys now held and exercised by a living prophet, Thomas S. Monson. Confirmations of truth comes to a son or daughter of God who has claimed the right to receive the Holy Ghost. Since falsehoods and lies may be presented to us at any time, we need a constant influence of the Spirit of Truth to spare us moments of doubt. While a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, George Q. Cannon urged that we make a constant quest for the Spirit to be with us. He promised, and I promise it as well, that if we pursue that course, we, quote, will never lack for knowledge of the truth, never be in doubt or in darkness, and our faith will be strong, our joy full. We need that constant help from the companionship of the Holy Ghost for yet another reason. The death of a loved one may come unexpectedly. It is the witness from the Holy Ghost of the reality of a loving Heavenly Father and a resurrected Savior that gives us hope and comfort at the loss of a loved one. That testimony must be fresh when death occurs. So for many reasons, we need the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. We desire it, but yet we know from experience that it is not easy to maintain. We each think, say, and do things in our daily lives that can offend the Spirit. The Lord taught us that the Holy Ghost will be our constant companion when our hearts are full of charity and when virtue garnishes our thoughts unceasingly. For those who are struggling with the high standard needed to qualify for the gift of the Spirit's companionship, I offer this encouragement. You have had times when you have felt the influence of the Holy Ghost. It happened for you today. You can treat these moments of inspiration like the seed of faith that Alma described. Plant each one. You can do that by acting on the prompting you felt today. The most valuable inspiration will be for you to know what God would have you do. If it is to pay tithing or to visit a grieving friend, you should do it. Whatever it is, do it. When you demonstrate your willingness to obey, the Spirit will send you more impressions of what God would have you do for Him. As you obey, the impressions from the Spirit will come 
more frequently, closer and closer to constant companionship. Your power to choose the right will increase. You can know when these impressions to act for Him are from the Spirit rather than from your own desires, when the impressions square with what the Savior and His living prophets and apostles have said, you can choose to obey with confidence. Then the Lord will send His Spirit to attend you. For example, if you received a spiritual impression to honor the Sabbath day, especially when it seems difficult, God will send His Spirit to help. That help came to my father years ago when his work took him to Australia. He was alone on a Sunday, and he wanted to take the sacrament. He could find no information about Latter-day Saint meetings. So he started walking. He prayed at each intersection to know which way to turn. After walking and making turns for an hour, he stopped to pray again. He felt an impression to turn down a particular street. Soon he began to hear singing coming from the ground floor of an apartment building close by. He looked in at the window and saw a few people seated near a table covered with a white cloth and sacrament trays. Now that may not seem like much to you, but it was something wonderful to him. He knew the promise of the sacrament prayer had been fulfilled. Always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given them, that they may always have his spirit to be with them. That was only one example of a time when he prayed and then did what the Spirit told him God wanted him to do. He kept, kept at it over the years, as you and I will. He never talked about his spirituality. He just kept on doing little things for the Lord that he was prompted to do. Whenever some group of Latter-day Saints asked him to come to speak to them, he did it. It didn't matter if it was 10 people or 50 or how tar- tired he was. He bore his testimony of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and of the prophets whenever the Spirit urged him to do it. His highest callings in the Church were to the Bonneville Stake High Council, where he weeded on the stake farm and he taught a Sunday school class. Over the years, when he needed it, the Holy Ghost was there as his companion. I stood next to my father in a hospital room. My mother, his wife of 41 years, lay on the bed. We had watched her for hours. We began to see the lines of pain disappear from her face. The fingers of her hands, which had been clenched into fists, relaxed. Her arms came to rest at her sides. The pains of decades of cancer were ending. I saw in her face a look of peace. She took a few short breaths, then a gasp and then lay still. We stood there, waiting to see if another breath would come. Finally, Dad said quietly, A little girl has gone home. He shed no tears. That was because the Holy Ghost had long before given him a clear picture of who she was, where she came from, what she had become, and where she was going. The Spirit had testified to him many times of a loving Heavenly Father, of a Savior who had broken the power of death, and of the reality 
of the temple ceiling he shared with his wife and family. The Spirit had long before assured him that her goodness and faith had qualified her for the return to a heavenly home where she would be remembered as a wonderful child of promise and be welcomed home with honor. For my dad, that was more than a hope. The Holy Ghost had made it a reality for him. Now, some might say that his words and the pictures in his mind about a heavenly home were just a sweet sentiment, the clouded judgment of a husband at the moment of his loss. But he knew eternal truth, the only way you can know it. Now, he was a scientist who searched for truth about the physical world throughout his entire adult life. He used the tools of science well enough to be honored by his peers across the world. Much of what he did in chemistry came from seeing in his mind's eye molecules moving about and then confirming his vision by experiments in a laboratory. But he had followed a different course to discover the truths that matter most to him and to each of us. Only through the Holy Ghost can we see people and events as God sees them. That gift continued in the hospital after his wife died. We gathered up my mother's things to take home. Dad stopped to thank every nurse and doctor we met on the way out to the car. I remember with some irritation that I felt that we should leave to be alone with our grief. I realize now that he saw things only the Holy Ghost could have shown him. He saw those people as angels sent by God to watch over his sweetheart. They may have seen themselves as health care professionals, but Dad was thanking them for their service on behalf of the Savior. The influence of the Holy Ghost continued with him as we arrived at the home of my parents. We talked for a few minutes in the living room. Dad excused himself to go into his nearby bedroom. After a few minutes, he walked back into the living room. He had a pleasant smile. He walked up to us and said quietly, I was worried that Mildred would arrive in the spirit world alone. I thought she might feel lost in the crowd. Then he said brightly, I prayed just now. I know Mildred is all right. My mother was there to meet her. I remember smiling as he said that, imagining my grandmother, her short legs pumping, rushing through a crowd to be sure she was there to meet and embrace her daughter-in-law as she arrived. Now, one of the reasons my father asked for and received that comfort was because he had always prayed in faith since his childhood. He was used to getting answers that came to his heart to give comfort and direction. In addition to having a habit of prayer, he knew the scriptures and the words of living prophets. So he recognized the familiar whisperings of the Spirit which you have felt today. The companionship of the Spirit had more than comforted and guided him. It changed him through the Atonement of Jesus Christ. When we accept that promise of having the Spirit with us always, the Savior can grant us the purification required for eternal life, the greatest of all the gifts of God. You remember the Savior's words. Now this is the commandment. Repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, 
that you may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost, that you may stand spotless before me at the last day. Those commandments come with this promise from the Lord. And now, verily, verily, I say unto you, put your trust in that spirit which leadeth to do good, yea, to do justly, to walk humbly, to judge righteously, and this is my spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I will impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy. I bear you my testimony that God the Father lives, that the resurrected Jesus Christ leads his church, that President Thomas S. Monson holds all the keys of the priesthood, and that revelation through the Holy Ghost guides and sustains the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and its humble members. I further testify to you that these wonderful men who were called and have today been speaking to us as witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and as members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, I testify to you, I know that the Spirit led President Monson to call them and that they are called of God, I so testify. And as you listen to them in their testimonies, the Holy Spirit confirmed to you what I now say to you. They are called of God. I sustain them and love them and know that the Lord will love them and sustain them in their service. And I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
our Heavenly Father. This beautiful hymn has reminded us how grateful we are for the restoration and for the knowledge and power of God that is expanding across the earth. We thank Thee for the inspired and heartfelt messages we have heard from those who have so earnestly sought to know Thy will. We thank Thee for our beloved prophet, President Thomas S. Monson, and for his loving counsel to us this morning. We are blessed and grateful to live in a day when prophets and apostles are upon this earth and speak for Thee. We pray for them and for their families. Help us to contemplate the things that we have heard and felt. And help us to seek the strengthening, the sustaining, and the sanctifying power of our Savior Jesus Christ to help us do the things that Thou would have us do and be what Thou would have us be. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been a broadcast of the 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music was provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited.
The heat is past, and winter is just around the corner. That means it's the perfect time to get outside and get some work done. Get to Stokes Equipment, your local John Deere dealer, for great savings on their full line of John Deere compact tractors. Choose either $1,250 off a 1025R tractor or 0% for 60 months, and a $750 cash-off bonus with the purchase of two implements. Or save on the 3E-Series compact utility tractors with $2,750 off or 0% financing for 60 months, and a $2,200 cash-off bonus with the purchase of two implements. Now that's an offer. The Bluffdale store is just off I-15 south of the prison. Call 801-966-4231 or stop by today. Live outside of town? Stoats cover the state from St. George to Tremont with five locations in Utah and one in southern Idaho. So visit stoatsequipment.com for a store near you. Offers in October 30th, 2015. Subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Some restrictions apply. See Stoats Equipment for details. Hi, this is Rod Meldrum inviting you to join me and thousands of others coming to the Firm Foundation Expo at the Southtown Expo Center, October 8th, 9th, and 10th. Enjoy three education-packed days with over 60 distinguished speakers doing more than 150 classes that are faithfully exploring relevant LDS topics of our time, including emergency preparedness, holistic health and wellness, and featuring the 16th International Book of Mormon Evidence Conference. Come learn the latest camping and survival skills, use of essential oils, 